Welcome back to another 307 podcast where I'm the only one that knows what we're going to talk about today. You didn't even clap either. Ah, too late. We've already started. I know. I always forget to clap in. And uh, it, it's, it makes it a pain in the butt to sync the audio up with the video. We're, we video these podcasts now, so if you guys like YouTube, go check them out. We got my we got my brother Brian Scott on the podcast today. Brian has been one of my mentors since I was um gosh, what do you think, Brian? About 13, 14 years old when we first met? Be around 2003. 2003, yeah. Yeah, so 3 So maybe maybe it was maybe I was 15 when we first met. Um I remember, I know I had, at some point shortly after we met, I had just gotten my license, because I'll never forget crossing 113 one time. I was in the brown truck. I had just started driving. I had an old 70, 79 model Ford F-250. Brian was riding with me in the passenger seat, and he had he had drove... Up to he he used to drive me all over the place, but I had got my license. I was turning across one thirteen, a big four lane highway, and I didn't look to see traffic coming. And I remember I don't know why this stands out so much in my memory, but I made that turn to go into that old house y'all used to live in over there, and uh, there was like. There was a car coming right at us, like run seventy miles an hour, and you flipped out, man. I remember that now. Yeah, you called that truck Brown Sugar. Yeah, yeah, Brown, Brown Sugar. Sugar. Yeah, you you called me out on that one, you know. And uh, t- shoot, you taught me a lot about driving. I I remember one time, uh, I was riding with you. I don't know why. Look, we'll get into this in a minute, guys. Um, I was I was riding with you. And we were making, we were stopped at a red light, and we were making a right, we were going to make a right turn. And you you stayed stopped, and I was like, Brian, why don't you make a right turn? Why don't you go ahead and turn? That car's got its blinker on, and you said that blinker ain't what's going to kill you. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I sure do. You taught me so many lessons. <laughs> he doesn't like to ride with people anyhow. No, I don't. It makes me nervous. He come over here uh, yesterday to pick me up go hunting, and- and uh, I said, you can go ahead and throw your stuff in there. He said, you, you don't want me to drive? <laughs> I said, yeah, we'll ride in your truck. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we got Brian on today. Like I say, uh, we'll dig into who Brian is here in just a little bit and talk through some old stories and, and uh, learn, about, learn more about Brian. He's, again, been a mentor of mine and of Blake's. He's held the line of what a brother and a friend should be. He's, held, he's set the standard for that throughout our lives and giving us someone to look up to. Um, hey, you've never missed a lick, man. I appreciate Anytime that. Anytime we've ever needed you uh, or not needed you, you're there. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, you don't, you've, you've never, you never held nothing against us. You've, you've been, you've forgiven us for the mistakes we've made. You've been by our side to encourage us and build us up and train us as men. Well, from a very young age, y'all, y'all have been the same way too. And not only that, y'all's entire family, mom, dad, grandparents. I feel the same way about all of y'all. Yeah, it's a family. blessing, man. It really is. So, um, 
Hey, yeah, I just got back from Maine. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. I, I just flew back in yesterday. I went out to do a podcast with Ryan Mickler on Order of Man. Uh, he's got a pretty cool show. Ryan was a great dude. Man, he's got an awesome family. Uh, I mean, he's just doing good stuff. So uh, that'll be coming out. I don't know when. But anyways, it was a good time. Maine was a really unique place. Um, first of all, this will probably be one of the last times that I get to fly because I'm sure here coming here soon, I'm sure we'll have to have the vaccine to fly. And so I'll just be riding in my suburban, right? Because you know what I, you, you I, look, I'm not anti-vaccine, but when I was a SEAL, you know what I do every time they come around the office for, with the little flu vaccine? I'd, I'd take it and I'd squirt it in the trash can. Why in the crap am I going to get a vaccine for something that ain't going to kill me. It's a cold for me, man. Right, like, right. I, I don't, I, I'm not putting some, something in my body uh, that some wizard has created somewhere. I don't even know. I, my brain can't even uh, comprehend what it is, but I'm not injecting it in my body unless it's to protect me against something that will kill me. Yeah. That's where I'm at with that. Right. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, I used to squirt that thing in the trash can, man. So this, uh, maybe it will be one of the last times I fly. That's all right with me. I like driving anyways. Uh, I'll tell you what, man. I, y'all know, look, I've told y'all before, we don't get into a lot of political discussion. We don't get into a lot of these discussions revolving around all this crap that's going on, right? And and that's because we're interested in, and, and I know me personally, I'm interested in having conversations that are going to change a person's heart. That's what I'm after, man. And I read something out of the Bible this morning, actually. Um, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and I thought this was a great... Uh, I guess, uh, account of what I'm talking about when I say I'm interested in what in changing a person's heart. Jesus says, what comes out of the man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceitfulness, lewdness, and evil evil eye blasphemy pride and foolishness all of these things come from within and and that's what defiles a man so the root problem of all the stuff that we're experiencing right now in our country the root problem is people's hearts it ain't the coronavirus yeah look i am just because we don't talk about these issues don't mean we don't have an opinion on them. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm about fed up to the top of my head playing the game. I've about had all I can take. I've endured it. And, and you can say what you want about the, the whole mass thing, right? It's easy for somebody that's independently wealthy to say, I'm not going to wear a freaking mask, right? Because they don't have to travel. They don't have to go to a speaking engagement. They don't have to work. They're independently wealthy. Yeah. yeah, you can say that all you want. 
Oh, I'm independently wealthy, so I'm not going to wear a mask. Well, I find myself in positions where I have to go. I, I was at a speaking engagement the other day in a hotel, and I'm being paid a large sum of money to be there and speak. I'm walking through the hotel lobby, and uh, the mask police stop me. And they say, sir, you got to put on your mask or, or you got to leave this place. Now, I'm in a dilemma because, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm totally against that. It's a game. I, I'm in a dilemma here. Do I, I? I'm not independently wealthy. I need this money in order to, to, for my business to operate. Do I s- submit to this request even though it's against what I believe? Or do I walk out of here and put my the, the furtherance of our ministry and our business you know, in jeopardy mm-hmm. by missing out on this uh, opportunity? I had to make a choice, man. The same with this flight I had to take. You know, yeah, maybe I, I guess I could have drove to Maine. That's 20 hours. Um it's uh it's a lot you know i don't even want to say it's a lot more convenient to fly it's just practical if you're going yeah. to maine for a day it's just more practical to fly up there but i'm faced with a dilemma and unfortunately i'm you know i can't just say no right now because you know and and so i have to play the game but i'm about fed up to the top with it man i don't know how much more longer i can play it <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people they're they're there they're at the breaking point, a lot a lot of folks. And it isn't just adults. There's, there's teenagers, children that just don't know what's going on with the whole mass deal and everything. Yeah, yeah. It, I'm sitting on the plane, man, and they say, they come over the announcement and they say, you are required by federal law to wear your mask even if you have a negative test or you have ha- you have had the vaccine, it doesn't matter. You and eighty percent of the people at the airport were double masked. <laughs> that's the that's the new thing. I seen that the other day. They're doubled up. They've got the the surgical mask on the inside, and then they've got the the fat their fashionable mask on the outside. And yeah. I'm looking at these cats. I'm like, how do you breathe, man? <laughs> Like, yeah. I wear this thing for a two-hour flight, and when I pull it off of my face, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And and you can feel all the moisture in me. I got a big, nasty beard anyways. You can feel all that moisture and nastiness just collecting around your mouth. And I'm like, if I wore this all the time, it would have to make me sick. Right. It right. would have, like there's, yeah. You can't convince me that it wouldn't make me sick wearing this thing. Yeah. Right. Um. So I'm, you know, I, I had to deal. I, every time I've traveled since all this crap kicked off, and I've traveled quite a bit since all this kicked off, I've had to. This is a conflict within myself that I'm having to work through, guys. Just know that you're not alone. If you're working through this, I'm working through it right here with you, man. And I'm trying to make decisions based on principle, but unfortunately, like I said, me, just like you guys listening, just like you guys sitting, we have to work. Yeah. Right? We have to work. So we're working through this dilemma right here. Will you know that you're not alone, man? I feel it. <laughs> well, you got to, you got, I mean, you, you have something that you believe and you stick to what you believe 
until something bigger that you believe in is over that. So in your case at the speaking engagement, you believe in our ministry, our company, and what we do, and that means more than sticking to your guns on what you believe in the mask. So, you know, you stick to it where you can, but if it's going to jeopardize a bigger thing, then at that point you got to make the decision. And that's that's the only thing that keeps me going, to be totally honest with you. It's like, you know, going up to Maine and doing this show with Ryan, if if it didn't have a a, a ministry aspect to it, if mm-hmm. Jesus, if I didn't, if I didn't know that the main purpose of me going up there was in order to talk about Jesus, um, of course I talk about other stuff, but obviously my testimony is woven into every aspect of my story. If I didn't know that that was the reason, I wouldn't go. And I think I actually told Ryan that on the podcast. Really? I said, if this was just about me, I would not have come up here. And so I think, you know, that that is, Blake, you're right. That's what drives me forward is I'm looking at, hey, right now, we need to be pushing hard mm-hmm. to share our testimony. And if that means I've got to play this game, in order to get to a place where I can push the gospel out to thousands of people potentially, then I, then I guess I need to suck it up. Because the fact of the matter is, the majority, it, <laughs> it's got to be the majority yeah. to change, and we yeah. don't have the majority. Right, yeah. right. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I, I'm struggling with this, guys. Just know, man. I'm right here with y'all, man. We all are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So think about it. Think about just like Blake said, the principle that Blake just shared. Think about what is more important, you know, um, and and get after it. So I get up to this place. It's, it's, it's an interesting area. Um, it's cold, nasty, windy, nothing. To me, Maine is not a place I would want to live just from what short time I spent there. But I got to meet these guys that run this company called Origin, Origin USA, and they basically manufacture uh, clothing and the jiu-jitsu geese that, that you wear and blue jeans and boots. And basically they've went all over and, and found these old manufacturing looms, machines, and uh, they're bringing the production of clothing back to America. They're trying to bring it back to 100% American-made. I mean, down to the the thread, man. Right. Um, so it's a really cool mission, but it's a it was a really cool example of what's happening now in society. And this ties in with all the rules and stuff that are that have come down from the pandemic. You have people, I've seen this in a few different places, you've got people that are actually building subcultures within a community based around their business or their brand. I've seen this a few times, and and this is what Origin had done. They, They have started this business there. They're very successful. They're hiring people from the local communities which has a pretty high poverty level they're hiring these people and they've set up 
like they, they've established a subculture within their community where they're just doing their own thing, man. Hmm. They got their own gym. They got their own facilities. They've bought up all this infrastructure within the town, and they're creating their subculture where they can make their own freaking rules and not have to wear a freaking mask to work, mm -hmm. not have to shut their business down, not have to shut their gym down, not have to freaking act like fools, right? Yeah. They've done it. And that was cool to me. Yeah, I've seen that in a couple other places. That, is that similar to sort of like the mill towns, how the mill towns were in the South? How, you know, they basically owned the village. Yeah. And the people yeah. that worked for the mill would buy the house yep. from the company. I guess it's sort of similar to it's that. It's similar to that. But I think the mill, you know, back then, those mill towns, they were doing that out of out of a, a convenience and a sense right. of community, yep. right? Right. Whereas now it's happening with a purpose. It's happening because if you want to get out from under all of this crap, you better create your own little culture. Mm -hmm. And you know, you better, you know, like like Origin, they they've they've been successful enough. They've made enough money that they can buy the infrastructure to do that. Yeah. You know. Interesting. Yeah, so it it is. It's happening. It's happening with a purpose, and you know it happened in Rome too. You know that that had a lot to do with the fall of the Roman Empire. Was basically um, people were setting up autonomous zones or subcultures within the confines of the empire and telling the freaking empire, "Screw you, dude!" Right? You know, mm -hmm. people were moving out to the country to avoid the tax man because it was just over taxation and they, they couldn't make a living. Uh, which is, you know, we <laughs> trust me. Don't right. go, don't let me chase that rabbit of right. taxes, man. <laughs> so, um, that was my experience there. You know, for for what it is, if you guys, I don't know what you guys take from that, but if you don't take anything from it, other than just to know that I struggle with the same things that you struggle with, and none of us sitting here are independently wealthy, and we got to stay in the fight right alongside you guys. So uh, just, you know, if you can relate to it, if it makes you feel any better, that's awesome. If not, whatever. But anyways, to make a real impact and to change this stuff, we got to go back and attack the heart, right? We got to win the hearts of people. And the only way to do that is through the message of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is the only thing that will change the heart of a man or a woman permanently. It works. Changed my heart. Right. Absolutely. Mine too. What you got, B? Just waiting on the waiting on the meat of the message, son. Oh, there wasn't no meat in that. Oh yeah. But now we trans is transition here. We're moving on. What you got? I've Brian? said my piece. I just been turkey hunting, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to stay dry. I told uh Cats, mom, mom and dad come over yesterday, and I said, all I do anymore is turkey hunt and go to the gym. If y'all can't talk about that, I can't talk to there you. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. um, You know, maybe we'll have our own subculture one day. Not that we need it. Luckily, down here in Georgia, it's it's fairly, it's a logic. We still can live a logical lifestyle. Um, but that's part of the requirement. If you work at 3 of 7 Project, you've got to sweat every day. 
you got to sweat every day. That you're that's you, that's part of your work, man. Yeah. People don't understand that. It's a good way to get fired around here. You get <laughs> Miss to not the gym. Sweat. You get to not you smell sweat. good. You smell good. You get fired. That's it. <laughs> um. Yeah. All right, guys. So Brian, man, uh, I wanna. I, I've never really heard the story of just how you were shaped into the man that you are today and that you were when I met you. Um, because, you know, you've always been a man that upheld a standard, um, moral and ethical standard, just to be, just as a man. Those things like honesty, those things like integrity, shooting, shooting me straight. Um, and not only that, but even going beyond that, of uh, of b- being a teacher and pouring into me as this teenage kid that was, you know, essentially, you know, trying to find his path. Mm-hmm. And you really took me in, man, and just, I mean, you poured a lot of time into me, dude. A lot of hours driving to get me, pick me up, and take me here and there and hunt and teach me how to hunt and right. uh, encouraging me and the, the whole nine yards, so... What, how did you, just from, from a young age, what's, what shaped you? What, what developed you into that, man? You know, I, I would say just right off the rip <clears throat> that my mom, 100%, I, I had the opportunity and was blessed to be around my grandparents a lot. And my papa was a deacon at an old-timey foot-washing Baptist church. Never cussed, never heard him cuss a day in his life. Always, always was praising the Lord. Always praying in, in front of the grandkids, in front of us, in front of everybody. I think those those two, my mother being brought up in that, I wasn't brought up in it until about the age of 12. You know, I always went to church with him, but I remember my early teenage years, going to church with him. But I think those two foundations is what's stuck with me mm-hmm. the, the longest, the hardest, you know, mm-hmm. those two foundations. My dad, he went to prison when he was five. Uh, when you were five? When I was five. Mm-hmm. I've talked to him maybe two or three times since then, have very little recollection of him. Um, but I had a great step stepdad <clears throat> later on in life that, that took that role by the reins and run with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say those, those two factors, my grandparents and my mother, yeah. just 100%. They was there every day, every day. I, I, you know, I talk to a lot of friends and stuff. Nowadays, people aren't in their kids' lives. Mm-hmm. And I make it a point to be in my kids' life mm-hmm. and, and hope that they see you. When you're a kid, you, you learn by what you see. You learn by how you're treated. You learn by how the people you look up to, the people that take care of you, treat other people and and what they talk about. You know, it's those little seeds. That's what I heard the whole time growing up until my grandfather passed away. And even from my mama this day was about Jesus, the gospel. Mm-hmm. So I, that wholeheartedly. Well, you told me yesterday when, when we was coming back, 
I guess it was yesterday, coming back from turkey hunting, we was talking about our, you know, just desires, things, talking about getting the grand slam on the turkeys, and and I said, man, it just takes a lot of time, and you said, man, I was the same way. I, when the kids were young, if they weren't welcome or they couldn't participate, I just didn't do it. Right. I only did things that they could do so I could spend the most time with them, right. and I, I thought a lot about that. Right. They, they was probably a little bit, because I didn't have a, a dad, so to speak, growing up that that was instilled into me that just went without saying that I'd never thought about was probably the reason. Yeah. Probably had something to do with being like that. Yeah. Yeah. What What did you, what were you doing? Uh, I mean, coming up through your teenage years, um, I mean, what, what were, what were you doing? What were the standards that you were held to? Well, I mean, <laughs> My teenage years got a little wild after that, you know, just like every other teenager. You you party a little bit, you do this, you do, you you trying to to find who you are. You don't you don't got a clue what you're doing. But those resonated through me the whole time. Mm -hmm. Just to be a good person, everybody is who they are, you're who you are. I didn't really have anything so to speak, like I said after my grandfather passed away. That was like my father passing away. Um, and what what was can you say his name, Brian? Yeah, Joseph Scott, Joseph Wilson Scott. Okay. And I, I'm, my first name is Joseph. I, I'm named after him. Yep. So yeah. Um, once he passed away, it was sort of odd. My grandmother had to go live with my aunt, so we seen their left. So that family bond, though we still are a tight knit family, as that sort of come apart. You know, I sort of come apart. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it wasn't the same, but I was getting older too. Teenager, driving, school's ending, you're looking forward to the end of school, so on and so forth. But I, I, I still I still feel that those years between five that I can remember, mm -hmm. I, you know, I really don't remember anything younger than that. Between five and 12, 13, on up till 16, it, that was there and that was solid. Now, a little bit after that, things changed a little bit, but I always kept that. It was it was in my heart, mm -hmm. you know. And what was your mom like? Your mom and your grandfather were, were they strict? Were they? Uh, I mean, what were they like? That they they were not strict. They were not strict at all. They but they were steady. They mm -hmm. were constantly steady, not overbearing. But which my grandfather father grew up in a way earlier time than what we can we can only read about it you know we don't we can't imagine what it was like he had a he had an individualism to him that you wasn't going to mess around you see what i'm saying he, yeah and of course you hear the stories that my mom and aunt told as they was growing up well i didn't i didn't want none of that i didn't want to find the the strict side of it you mm -hmm. see what I'm, but my mom she wasn't strict she was always unconditionally loving understanding more than willing to help at anything and i think that just i think that resonated the story even more because why would she be one way and tell me to be one way but be the opposite toward me you see what i'm saying and be overbearing mm -hmm. and it no not strict at all not strict at all they just set the example and 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 were consistent every day yeah every day yeah they, they never changed my grandmother too they never changed mm -hmm. you never seen you know some people a light switch could go from happy to angry with a snap of a finger 
I never seen anything like that. Never. Mm. Um, I gotta ask you, man. I, I've never asked you this before, and if I cross any boundaries with the questions, you just you just let me know. But how did coming up, knowing that your that your father was in prison, I mean, that's obviously got to be in the back of your mind. How how have you? Uh, I mean, because you developed into a strong, independent, awesome man and leader that you are today. How did you overcome that, man? And how did how did that affect you growing up, or did it? I mean, I I don't really think it did. There there was times sixteen, seventeen. You know, I wanted to talk to him, wanted to meet him. You yeah, know, talk talk about what the deal was. Why why'd you do what you did? But it, I I think because my life was always stayed so positive through my grandparents and my mother that it never crossed my mind you know what i'm saying i never felt had any depression thoughts about it anything like that i'd sensed i had tried to i went and visited him in prison my mother took me when i was at this time i'm 18 years old first time i'd seen the man since he went to prison 18 years old and seen him um it was meeting a stranger yeah you know, meeting a stranger, you're looking for something to grasp onto. Yeah, that's my dad. That's my daddy. You know, the little boy. It just wasn't there. It wasn't there. No one ever bad mouthed him. No one ever downed him. It just I, I can't tell you why I didn't long for it. I never did. Ne- never really have thought about why. Hey, why? Why did I not really care to go any further? Mm-hmm. Since he'd since got out of prison, I might have seen him twice. Mm-hmm. I seen him back last February uh, of 2020. My grandmother, his mother, uh, I I was in her life. I'd go over there, spend the night with her. We never really even talked about him. Wow, man. That, that was sort of odd as I think back on that, you know, before. That was sort of odd. Um she lived to be 110 years old. Son. She passed away last February. Wow, man. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she did. And I seen him at the funeral. It was like talking to a stranger. You know, Still I, to but, this day. But he is. Yeah. I don't know who he yeah, is. I'm he don't know who I am. You know, But it, it's never bothered me. Never really gave it a second thought at all. But I, I think I'm, I'm, I, I, can't, I can't say it enough, that steadiness through a yeah. kid – of what I got is is so valuable. Yeah. So valuable. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about real quick and just, just to I just want to honor Mr. Bill um in this conversation. Yeah, I, I knew Mr. Bill. Uh you want to talk about another steady individual and Mr. Bill is Brian's stepdad. And uh I want to talk about when Mr. Bill came into your life and uh what he imparted to you. So I can't remember the year. I'm going to say I was around 21, 22 years old when my mom started dating Mr. Bill. Okay. So you were already, you were through your teenage years. Okay. And uh, how long they dated before they got married, I can't recollect. But that man was as good as gold. And he, he, it was uncanny how they attracted to each other. It was like they had been married all their lives and it was like he had been my father figure all his life it was 
always there. The Rock, when I when me and my wife had kids together, those were his grandkids. I was his son. He included us on everything, in everything. Never missed a beat. Never missed a beat. Worked hard. Helped me when I was down on my luck, out of work. All he had to do was know, and I had a job in ten minutes. It it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Just just a solid solid guy. Mm-hmm. Loved loved my mother. Loved us. Just a great guy. He um, he would talk about his childhood a lot. And as he would talk about his childhood, you, you could see the love that he had for his mother and father and his brothers and sisters. And that was a constant. I mean, a constant that, that I got, even being a young man, straight up with you, I didn't know how to be a man until I was about 27, 28 years old, period. I know that I didn't. But I also know that I didn't, I wouldn't have been the way if it hadn't have been for Mr. Bill, if it hadn't have been for his solidness all the way through it. Yeah. 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 And yeah, man, you want to talk about consistent and a uh, just a a very calming and peaceful spirit. Right. You couldn't be in the presence of him. At least I felt like I couldn't be in the presence of Mr. Bill and not, I couldn't. Couldn't be in his presence and be angry. It was like right. there was something calming about right. him. Did you right. I, yeah. get that? that? Yeah, I'm glad you said that. That I couldn't get those words out. He, the whole time, I mean, he was just straight up calm. Nothing. If he got mad, it wasn't to the level of what you consider average for somebody getting mad. Or if it, if it was higher than that, I never seen it. Yeah, yeah. it uh, <clears throat> just calm and it was steady. You know, he had leukemia back in the seventies. And it went into remission. I don't really know the time frames of when it come back then. And so he had done he had done fought some sure enough battles. You know, he would tell stories of how his mom and dad talked about the depression and mm-hmm. whatnot. I mean, th- those those people of that generation are a teetotal different mindset of mm-hmm. anything we see now. And that's that probably resonated through him his entire life. Yep. He didn't worry about anything. And that's that goes back to my my grandfather and my mother. They didn't worry about anything. I'm sure they had stresses that they didn't let the kids or the grandkids see, and I'm sure Mr. Bill did too. But it didn't overflow onto us. And even when I was a young man, 21, 22 years old, none of that flowed over to me. Yeah, and that that I, that has a value that's yeah. way up there. You know. It's interesting that you talk about as we go back and we and we honor these people. Um, you you honor your family members, and we talk about the lifestyles that they lived and the things that they had to endure during those times uh, that they came up through. Right? It was a different, just and you guys all know this. It was a different lifestyle, different way mm-hmm. of life. It was a different type of struggle. And, you know, I was thinking about that at the gym this morning as Jeff quoted his, uh, gave his quote about um, essentially train like you fight, right? Essentially, uh, you you need to now, nowadays, you need to do something that's going to inflict some adversity upon yourself in, in order to develop yourself and, you know, be able to, be a well-rounded human being. But I, I was thinking as he's going through this, I'm thinking, what a unique place we're in. 
a lot of us in America. What a unique situation we're in where we actually have to go and do stuff to make life hard so that we can be the the be like the people that we're talking about yeah. like like Mr. Bill I'll bet I'll bet Mr. Bill or your grandfather or my grandfather or these these people that lived through the depression that World War 1 to these men and women I'll bet they never stepped foot in a gym yeah. they did not have to seek out right. these these activities to make life, they we have to find things to make our lives harder, right. so we can become more well-rounded. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to do that. Right. It was just the process of life back then. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not discrediting uh, our lifestyles. I'm not saying there's anything. It's great that that now we're in a place that we actually have to seek that stuff out. Man, that's a that's a blessing. Right. Right. It's a blessing to be in this place. It's just a whole nother dynamic. Yeah. And I was thinking that this morning, how fortunate are we and what a unique place that we are. Really, I would imagine the where we are this is probably um and, and if you look back on human history, this is a very unique situation we're in yeah. right now. Right. These times to where we have to do that, you know. Right. Well, so. and you know, those people, all the people that, that you talk about. Growing up, Chad asked the question, you know, how did you become to who you are today? And and it, what I hear you saying is those people lived it out, and they didn't really force it down your throat. It's like the, I don't know who said it, but it's like I can show you better better than I can tell uh, you, yeah. you know. And, and I think about applying that in my own life as parent and as a parent. And sometimes I'll I'll try to tell our kids, you know. Hey, this is how you need to do it, or do this. But really, you just got you just got to be constant and steady, and live out what you believe. And they'll grab onto those things. But we want to tell people because we want the immediate result. We're like, we want right. you to get this lesson now. So let me tell you how to do it. When really, you just need to live it out. And people will pull those. Th- they'll they'll see. Man, look at. Look at Mr. Bill. He was just constant, steady. Look at my mm-hmm. papa. Look at my mama. They were just constant, steady. And when you get of age, you say, man, that's who I want to be like. Right. What did they have in their life? Right. And so that's just, that's interesting to me that, you know, you really can't put your finger on like, how am I, why am I the way I am today? Who who brought me there? Really, it's a collective effort of everybody living out what they believe in, not right. telling me how I need to live my life. Yeah. It's uh, uh well go ahead. No, you Sorry. go ahead, Brian. It, when you was talking, you know, people back in those days didn't go to the gym. It made me thought, think how how big my papa was, six six foot two, about three hundred and fifty pounds, loaded pulpwood on a pulpwood truck, had a pulpwood business by hand, him and one <laughs> of his other brothers. Now back then it was short wood, of course, so you're talking nine eight, nine-foot logs, but no telling how big around they were. Stacking a pulpwood truck, he was he would plow with a mule, and this this man's muscle, I could imagine if he went to the gym after he did that, I mean, how much protein would he have to eat to even for his body to sustain what he was doing? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He would have laughed at the weights in the gym and said, this, 
That's I, all y'all got. I, I remember one time me and me and one of my cousins was they had a crab apple tree by the road and they lived on a dirt road. And uh we was throwing crab apples at cars when they went by. We was probably six or seven years old. Well, one of the cars, a Cadillac, stopped and pulled in the driveway. Of course, me and my cousin took off running. They told Papa about it, so he hollered for us, and we hid under the bed. <laughs> and I won't never forget the the force. It was like a tornado picked that bed up <laughs> and threw it and grabbed us both with the other hand. And yeah, we got some switching then. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, strong, strong people back in. They they had to work. Yeah, yeah, they did, man. Yeah, very, uh, <clears throat> very different than the life that we live today. And like I say, it's a blessing, but it's cool to reflect back on it, man. Uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about real quick. You made a comment just a little bit ago where you said, you know, I didn't, I don't even think I really knew what it was to, to really, what it was like to really be a man until twenty-seven or twenty-eight years old. I want you to just expound on that a little bit talk me through uh that process or what what you meant by that well look looking back on it it it, it seemed uh life sort of happened really fast then uh my wife we met when i was 18 19 years old of course we got married and then the the kids come along it it all started when i decided i liked alcohol a whole lot and those years, they're not really a blur, but I, I never was acting right, period. My my thought process in my head wasn't correct. Even when I was sober during the day, the thought process wasn't correct. You think, well, I've got a sober mind, so I'm good. But it's those little seeds of different types, for the lack of better thing, no, just straight up sin that you have. When you're drinking, trying to drink, trying to get drunk, that those little seeds become one big one, mm-hmm. one huge, just a totality. So I didn't know, I didn't know how to treat my wife. Now she may tell you different, but the way I feel about it now, and the way I knew I was then, is not the same. Period. It wasn't the same until I I, I had a a recollection. Of, of those events up till I was 27, 28 years old and, and started working on, hey, I need to take care of these these kids better. I need to be the type of people that I seen growing up. Mm. And, and t- until I could do that, until I realized that, because you had to admit it to yourself, then that, that's, that's when I could start being a man. That's when I could really buckle down, stay in a steady job, not work a job two years and quit. You know what I'm saying? And you're starting all over. Not moving every other year. You get get a stable home, stay in that home. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It it took a long time. And I, I don't know why that is other than the alcohol. Because mm-hmm. I learned at a young age, like I said earlier, when 16, 17 years old, that I like drinking, period. And there's a lot of other factors that went into that. And it, at the age of 27, 28 years old, I think I, I just learned to control it better. It didn't go away. Mm-hmm. I learned to control it better. And that's when, you know, I started stepping up my game on, on being the type of man that I needed to be for my kids and my wife and my mom 
yep. and Mr. Beal, yep. you know. Yeah. And that's that's right about the time that we met, Brian. I think that I think I, I when I when we met, I was I was it was uh, my summer job. I was surveying with dad. My dad and my grandfather owned a surveying company and we were at a a new construction site where they were building a subdivision and Brian was doing the grading, I think, right, and we yeah. were doing the survey and um I had I had coon hunted with my family members for years and years uh, leading up to this, but I I never I, I never had any opportunity to actually have a dog or you know to I, I loved to I loved it I'd already had that and uh, and somebody had told me you, you were like a legend around that you know in, within that subculture almost that right. that was in that area of everybody knew that brian was a was a coon hunter die hard man and um that immediately like you you were literally like you had a legendary status like i can remember wanting to just see you and meet you um and it was right around that time i think you were 27 years old maybe yeah the 2000 so i've been 20 and 96 so yeah yeah that'd be about right yeah yeah um why why did you choose to to mentor me like you did because you know that was a lot that was a big sacrifice for you well i mean they're the the obvious things you know people people that hunt want to get kids in the outdoors if you got a you got a kid that's wanting to go hunting i'm mean, who can say no to a kid yeah, I mean, if you, if you can say no to a kid, you got some stuff going on. Um, that being the obvious thing, but I, I I'll never forget. I was standing on top of the slope, and you walked up, and you you had a, I believe it was the summertime, so you wasn't in school. You had you had some red going on, but it's nothing like what you got going on on in your beard right there. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> you walked up, and you you straightforward introduced yourself. You said your name, you stuck your hand out, and you said you would like to go coon hunting. And you said you had a dog and told me the whole story of how you got the dog, Dixie. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just hooked up right then, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I can't remember if we went hunting that night or maybe it was a couple of days later, but we went hunting pretty quick after that. And that first hunt there, I said, okay, this is a this is a good kid, which I talked to your dad out there on that job site too and uh it, it was pretty easy to tell y'all was good people right off the bat so yeah i i, I mean I've ne i'll never forget i think it was the first hunt that we went on and it's a worthy story to tell it may have not have been the first one but it was one of the first hunts that we went on we went out to paul aiken road uh, they were building a subdivision out there and that's when we were coming up man we didn't have the money to lease land. We hunted where we could. I mean, you, yeah. you, that's the way I remember it anyways. I yeah. mean, you know, um, and, and so uh, obviously be, knowing where these subdivisions, Brian, I think you were probably grading out there and we it were was. surveying it. And uh, so we went out there to hunt. I think you had two dogs out there, yeah. CD and Joe. But, no, it wasn't no, Joe. It was uh, Bandit and Bandit. Tom. Bandit and Tom. Okay. Yeah. Yep, Bandit and Tom. See, Brian had so many dogs. <laughs> Bandit and Tom. And um, 
So we, we're going out, and if you guys, I'm sure a lot of you guys have never been coon hunting before. So just to explain it to you, you have these hound dogs. They're full-size dogs, right? And you take them, you turn them loose, and these dogs are trained to smell and chase only a raccoon. That's all they're supposed to smell and chase. And they'll find that scent, and they'll trail that raccoon up to the tree that it went up. And then the dog will sit at the bottom of the tree and bark until you get there. So it's an adventure. Coon hunting, every coon hunt is an adventure. When you take those dogs off, you you are committed to the dog. Right? If the dog does right, you are committed to go wherever that dog goes. So you may go 100 yards. You may go six miles through some some of the the nastiest terrain I've ever been in has been in coon hunting. It wasn't in the SEAL teams. It was in the woods at night coon hunting. Um So we turn we turn these dogs loose. One no, yeah, we turn them loose and they they both of them strike in, which means they smell the coon but they're apart from each other and they're both running separate tracks. Well, we thought we thought one dog was running it the right way, and then we thought the other one might have been backtracking or right. doing something crazy, but they ended up coming together right there, and they had run two coons up the same tree. Yep. Right? And then uh, you, we had shot one of the coons out of the tree, and it was on the ground, but it, it, wasn't, it, it was still fighting, right? It was fighting and... Uh, for some reason, I had a old snub nose, thirty eight special pistol, and uh, dude, I'm what? I'm like I'm fifteen years old, out in the woods at night carrying a snub nose, thirty eight special revolver. I didn't even know you had it. Oh, you? Did? I did not. I had it. I don't know if I had it in my pocket or what. But here's this coon that, that's on the ground. Fighting, fighting off our dogs, and we're like, man, we got to, we got to kill this coon. We got to end this, man. And so I pull this uh, thirty-eight special out of my pocket, and I and I look at Brian, and I say, here, man, shoot it with this thing. And he shines his light down on this pistol, and no crap, I've got this pistol in my palm, and on the side of the pistol that's facing Brian, he shines his light on it, and there's a massive scorpion. Big score. Laying on the the frame of the pistol, it it looked. I couldn't believe it. It looked like it was engraved it onto the gun. Yeah, I didn't even know they had. We had scorpions that big. It was huge. Yeah, you thought that was that scorpion edition snub nose. Didn't <laughs> yeah. it? it really did. You you yeah. can't even make this crap up. Yeah. I don't know how it got on the weapon from the time I pulled it out to the time I said, "Hey, shoot it with this thing." Right. Uh, I mean, that's obviously I can't forget that it's burned into my memory. Because, Brian thought that was a setup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you trying to get me with that scorpion? <laughs> he did, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was wild, man. Yeah, I believe that was the first hunt we went on. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. I thought it was, too. I know it was, yeah, I know yeah. it was really early on. And then we, we just continued to, uh, to hunt together brian uh taught me how to competition hunt um and and hauled me all over the place and 
you know, um, not only not only I think a lot of the foundations of my competitiveness came from y'all think this is crazy. Y'all listen to this. Y'all think this crap. Y'all think this conversation is crazy. A lot of my competitiveness, and I'm very competitive now. It was I think forged and fostered in that arena of competition coon hunting. Right. Right. But you not you didn't just teach me how to compete. You taught me how to how to act. You know what I mean? Right. You you taught me how to act. You taught me how to be how to be a respectful competitor. I feel like because as a as a kid, I was a straight up kid. I'm out in the woods with grown men. Tempers can flare. Y'all y'all think again, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Competition coon hunting is no joke. It, uh, it is serious business. It is down very, here. people take it very, very seriously, right? Yep. Sure do, absolutely. And and it can get hairy out there. So I'm out here doing this, and, and you know, you, you're. I, I think in a lot of ways you were you were mentoring me on how to be humble when I needed to be humble, how to stand up for myself when I needed to stand up for myself. Do you remember that? I mean, yeah, yeah, I do, I do. But you know, I also had the. I've got a a 15 year old boy, 16 year old boy that whose mom and daddy trust me that he's up here. On the at the Tennessee line with me, so it I wasn't gonna let you get hurt, and we was mm-hmm. I wasn't gonna let anybody else hurt you. So that that probably played along with hey maybe maybe we need to back down on this situation right here. And I'll Chad maybe maybe we need to say something right here. I'm I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. Not thinking it at the time, mm-hmm. but you know we uh you're right. I mean it can get hairy. You can get in some tights, and they. These people that put hands on people in those competition hunts, so just just like everything else, a game of football, you you sell fight. It ha- it happens. I, th- I think that's what it was. You know, you were, you was my responsibility as a as a teenager, and we was like you said, all over the place, and I wasn't gonna let you get hurt. Yeah. So you also weren't gonna let me be a pussy. Uh, true that. True that. There was there was times. Hey, Chad, you you need to tell him his dog's babbling. Yep, and his dog's not barking at nothing, and you know, we'd go from there. I think we did good. I, I really do. I think we did good on just about any situation that come up. Yeah, I think we did good too. But you know, for me, it's the lessons that I learned out there. You know, from from you, and also, you know, I, I looked up to you, obviously. But those lessons really forged that that proper competitiveness that proper spirit of competition for the right. first time in me because I never played sports. I, did, I didn't know what it was about. I, I mean, I played a little bit of baseball real early in middle school, but, you know, it, it, it was just something to do. I was never into sports or any of that. So it was an important time, I think, in my life. And a lot of lessons that I learned back in those days carry over to – you know, times that I need to be competitive in life now of uh, of how to treat situations, how to stand up for yourself when you need to or when you know you need to back off a little bit and show some humility. Right, know? right. Yeah, so. so so much of those hunts, you know, a lot of it probably bled through because 
you know, it's supposed to be who's the best dog. But of course, when, when us humans get in anything, our egos and our alpha maleness overrides a lot of that. So we, we had the option to say, well, is this really what's better for the dog or is this better for us? Are we up here swinging around? Who's the alpha male? Are we actually in a competition coon hunt? Yeah. You know, a lot of that bled over from that. If it wasn't about the dog and it was just about somebody wanting to be a, a butt, then they can be a butt. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, well, I remember coming home on many nights and, uh, and Chump would lick your feet. <laughs> Brian would always kick his boots off after the end of a hard night of coon this. hunting. And, uh, we'd come in, Brian would kick his boots off. He, this, he had a dog named Chump and he'd kick his feet up on the table and that dog would sit there and lick his feet every time. <laughs> would lick his feet for like a straight hour, man. He, he liked he to keep lo- clean feet. He man. loved it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was waiting at the door when we pulled up. He man. was, man. Yeah. He yeah. sure was. Uh, and then we'd get up every morning and would cook us breakfast. Yep. Every, every single morning, every man. Every morning. Sure yep. would. Yeah. That was a, that was a special time in my life, man. I, and I, you know, when I reflect back on my own life, I, I gauge the, uh, well, there's not a lot that I remember. So the things that I do remember, I know they were special. And I know there's some valuable lessons there. I'm writing a book now. Just started the other day. I know. I said I would never write a freaking book. Paul Stutzman inspired me to write a book after we had that conversation with Paul. So uh, I'm I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and do it. It's going to be the book to end all books. Any of y'all listening, uh, after I write this book, you don't have to write a book. This or is if go- you're already writing one, just go just ahead and stop. Because <laughs> this is going to be the book to end all books, all right? And, um, and now I'm digging through the files of my mind and stuff like this, you know, the things that I do remember. I'm like, okay, this is why I remember these things is because of the – the valuable lessons that were inter- that were entwined in the seemingly simplistic redneck country that that those things are what shaped me into who I am today and what is really those things are what allowed me to become a seal y'all think that's crazy i'm telling you man I'm telling you, it really is. There, well, go ahead, Brian. There, there's one one coon hunting store that I don't know if you remember. Maybe you need to think about it for your research. But we, uh, you remember Danny, Danny oh, yeah. Smith? Yeah. You called me. It was Thanksgiving weekend. With Thanksgiving night was that night. You called and said, "Hey, why don't we go coon hunting with Danny down in Washington County?" Cold, windy. Oh, no, I remember it. I said, "Well, let's go," and. Uh, I think I grabbed some deer meat out of the freezer or the fridge, and I got to your house to pick you up. You had some deer meat. We had a loaf of bread and some mustard, and we <laughs> drove three hours to Washington County, loaded the dogs up, went to Washington County, and a hunting club y'all had, we drove to it, and some little bitty guy named Pee Wee, uh, Chad talked to him, and we rented a shack from Pee Wee. I think we paid him like $15. Yep. And we slept in that shack for two nights, and we ate. We didn't have anything to heat this deer meat up with. 
cold deer meat. The wind was blowing cold deer meat, bread, and mustard <laughs> for two days on Thanksgiving weekend. And I remember my feet had never been so cold for that amount of time. My feet were essentially, the only time my feet wore up, warmed up is when we drove from the shack to go a hunting. <laughs> and then when we drove from hunting back to the shack, and then, when, of course, when we drove home. Do you remember how cold it was I'm going to tell you, I remember it, man. It was it was in an open area, so the wind came through there. And I don't even think that this place that we were staying in deserves to be called a shack. I think it's more. it was more of a shed. Was that the... On our hunting club, yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember that place. It was an old shed, and and it was there was so many holes and gaps in the walls and boards that you might as well had just slept out there on the ground because it didn't provide much cover. Mm -hmm. um, maybe kept you dry, but it didn't rain, so uh, so we were good. But no, I do remember that man, and uh, I remember those hunts going uh, the, of that weekend going out with Danny. On the duck roost, mm -hmm. and I can remember riding back into the dogs. At some point, you weren't with us. Me and Danny broke away on the ATV, and here I'm riding back in the cut with Danny. It, all these palmetto bushes and massive old growth timber down into these big swamps, and they had hot, somehow got some uh, got some train some train uh, carts back in there and they had turned them on their side and, and turned them into bridges to cross these big sloughs and stuff right i mean it was a wild place yeah. man that hunt club was a wild place it was I mean, hogs I everywhere hogs everywhere. i remember you telling me danny was dropping toilet paper on the ground so y'all yep. could but but now the back then we didn't have the garments that in the gps yeah. that would lead no, you back out we didn't have gps yeah. uh I, yeah i do remember that that's that specific trip to that tree they had tree down there on the river and danny pulled a roll of toilet paper out and was literally stopping every 15 feet either dropping a piece of toilet paper or tying it up tying a little sliver of it on a limb so we could get our way back out of there because we knew if we didn't get back to that atv we was gonna be out there until it got daylight and yeah. it would probably take us another day to walk from there if we were lost back to some form of transportation or road or mm -hmm. something. It was uh yeah, I, th I think that place was like twenty thousand solid acres. Yeah, that what Danny. That's a big piece of private land, especially for that part of Georgia. Yeah, Middle Georgia. That's a big piece of private. Land. Mm -hmm. Oh heck yeah, it is. You could be lost out there for a good little while. Yes, you could. All right, let's take a quick break. What's up, guys? This episode is brought to you by Salty Britches. I hope you've heard me talking about Salty Britches. It's the number one anti-chafing cream on the market, period. I use it for all of my ultra marathons, any race, any run that I'm doing over 50 miles. I put a thin layer of Salty Britches on my feet, pull my sock up over the top, and I'm good to go. One application of Salty Britches has kept me comfortable, blister-free, chafe-free for over 100 miles of continuous running in the Georgia heat. One application, yeah. And I apply this stuff to any hot spot on my body that would normally chafe or blister or whatever it may be. It's a game changer. I got enough 
I got my fill of chafing and SEAL training. Yeah, it sucks. I don't enjoy it, which is why I'm so passionate about Salty Britches. Also, this stuff is made in America. The owner of Salty Britches, Amy, is an amazing human being that really has poured her heart and soul into making the best product that can possibly be made, and she has achieved that. Look, buy some Salty Britches, throw some in your running box, throw some in your everyday carry bag, throw some in your backpack, and when you need it, you're going to be really glad you have it. Order yours at GetSaltyBritches.com. Use pro code 3 of 7, the number 3, lowercase, O-F, the number 7, for 20% off your purchase from Salty Britches. Follow them on Instagram at GetSaltyBritches. Hey, we love you, Salty Britches. Thanks for being there when we need you. Thanks for sponsoring this episode of the 3 of 7 podcast. All right, we're back. Hope you guys enjoy are enjoying some of these uh, precious memories from years ago. Now, maybe you have a better understanding of uh, why I have been characterized as a backwoods Navy SEAL wizard hermit. Well, if anybody <laughs> wants advice from this, if you want to be a Navy SEAL, first you've got to coon hunt. Yeah, coon hunt for a decade. You want to get you want to prepare for buds seal training? Quit freaking calling me and asking me how many push-ups you should do. I I mean, come on, man. Yeah. Get out there and start, get out coon and go hunt. get you a dog and get after it, son. Yeah. There ain't I I mean, there there ain't nothing. There ain't nothing out there rougher than coon hunting in my opinion. In North Georgia mountains. Yeah, this ain't duck hunting. All you duck hunters, duck hunting <laughs> is the golf of hunting. It's the golf of the hunting world. Wow. It is, man. <laughs> what do you think about that, Brian? Well, I mean, you do got a lot of sleepless nights. We worked and hunted. We drove all over the dang, all over the state, ate cold deer meat. For weekends at a time, I guess he's got a point. I don't, <laughs> I don't think you really do that duck hunting. No. Um, I want to go. I want to back up real quick, and uh, this is for. I, I want to have this conversation because I think it can help a lot of people. I want to back up and talk about the alcohol, man. I want to talk about. Um your struggle against it uh, because I know it, it's been, at least I, I think listening to you, it's been ongoing and I feel like you're in one of the best places that you've been in uh, for a long time or maybe forever. Right. Um, and I just, you know, I want to, I want to talk, talk through that at whatever depth you feel comfortable talking through it. Um, how, how either how you, Got to where you are today. Uh, what what changed your mind about it? How, how you know that that that's really it? I don't I don't want to I don't want to guide it. I want to hear right. what you have to say about it. Well, I think most importantly, as I look at it, um, I have to look at sort of where it started. Um, probably at the age of sixteen, seventeen, just like I'm not going to say every teenager, but a lot of teenagers you. Your buddies, hey, you want some beer? Yeah, I want some beer. Hey, just easy to get. 
easy to get. But for me, I learned that I could drink a lot and still wake up and function normally. And I learned that really early. Um, so I drank as a teenager, not every day. And I, I would say not no more than what you would expect a teenager. Might score some beer every once in a while. Might score some beer here and there. Something like that. But when I had it, I drank it till it was gone. Now I didn't know I was doing that back then. Young and dumb. As it moved on up, and this is no, no blame on my wife, but my wife was older than me when we met. 18 years old, 19. She was, she's six years older than me. So she was of legal age to buy it at the time in Georgia. It's still 21 to buy alcohol. So anytime I wanted some alcohol, I got alcohol. And that become regular as I become older. I'm no longer in mama's house. I'm out living, living on my own. So I had alcohol at my disposal as long as I had the money to buy it. Um, Why'd you like it so much? I don't know. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. And as I talk to people about it now, by no means am I an alcohol expert. Uh, you know, they say, well, maybe you need to work some steps through AA or something to, to find these things out. Right now, I'm good. I'm good. Um, but I don't know why I liked it so much. I do, I do not. Um, and I'm, it was always beer. Every once in a while, there'd be liquor. But you could pretty much guarantee you once alcohol become readily, and I was, so to speak, a young man, that I was going to be drinking something in the evenings, especially. And then, of course, on Friday, Saturday nights, it was showing up on then. Well, that become a habit. You know, those little things, like I talked about earlier, built up to all of a sudden I had a habit. Well, 18, 19 years old, you know, young and, and doing what you want. And I was who Hank Williams Jr. wrote all his songs about. You know what I'm saying? You mm -hmm. get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. In my head, my ego was, oh, I'm, I'm this big country boy, this big redneck. This is who I am, you know? that's When that becomes solid in my head that that's who I was. Your identity. There was no looking back. <clears throat> that's who I was. Now, there would be times throughout the years – that I might take a break. I quit one time for one whole year to the day. And my alcoholic mind on that day, while well, I quit a year, I'm going to celebrate. And and rolled right back into it. <clears throat> Added me some more little things to it. And, you, and I learned, not consciously, but I learned how to adapt and, and to live. I learned how, I knew how to work every day. I could get drunk. Now, when we was coon hunting, I wasn't drinking. But you know, you was there. When I come home, what's the first thing I did? Yeah, you got you a beer. Yeah, Got me a beer. Yeah, uh, Things of that nature. Maybe that night I didn't drink that much. But you could about guarantee you the next night that I had the ability to drink more than that, that I was going to. Mm -hmm. um, it just become, I, I guess for lack of better words, who I was. You know, I, that resonates through me the most as I think about it or as I talk to people about it is I thought I was this person that had to do this. I can I, see that. Yeah, I get yeah, it. That I, that I had to do this. You know, I'm, 
I'm King Redneck. Oh, seriously. I mean, I really thought I was, that's who Hank Jr. was singing about. He was talking to me. Yeah. And all those old Waylon songs and Hank songs, that was me. You know what I'm saying? So as, as that rocked on in around probably a few years after we met and was coon hunting, like I said, that 28, 27 year mark, the Lord saved my soul in 2008. Um, I, I was fighting with it then in my head. Uh, I could see what other people were seeing, but still wasn't to that omission place. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? And um, I remember one day at work, you know, I'd been praying, praying for two or three days. And, you know, a lot of people, as I, as I talk and tell them about my grandfather, they just assume that I come up in the church. So I was saved at a very young age, but I wasn't. But I had that foundation. Mm -hmm. I knew all along what it was, but I was running, not intentionally. I was running as a sinner. That's exactly what I was doing. I was running. And in 2008, it all built up on me. And I remember at work running a track hoe on the biggest pile of sh shingles that's probably ever been in the state of Georgia. I, t I took Jesus as my Savior. The next thing you know, I'm on the side of this pile on my knees crying. Two or three guys walk up, man, what's, what's going on? I just took the Lord as my Savior. He saved my soul. They looked at me like I had something funny painted on my head. Mm -hmm. uh, I won't never forget that to this day. And one of the guys said, man, I want that. I want that so bad. And we prayed our whole lunchtime right there, the whole lunchtime. So that happened in 2008, which changed my life. And people say, I've had people say, well, if that happened in 2008, why didn't you just lay the alcohol down? Well, the alcohol did slow down. It did slow down. I remember it slowed down to where I thought I was a casual drinker. Mm -hmm. But my level of drinking was already so high that my casual was still above casual. Yeah. I remember. I don't know if y'all remember. Remember when y'all used to get those UFC yeah. fights at y'all's oh, yeah. house? Remember the night of my 33rd birthday, we had a UFC mm -hmm. night over there at y'all's house. I drunk 33 beers. Yeah. I showed up at y'all's house at probably 6 or 7 o'clock, and I drunk 33 beers by the time the fight was over. Mm -hmm. And... I was able to do that. So, like I said, my my casual was way above other people's casual. Yeah. Um, yeah, you weren't just going to enjoy one craft beer at a restaurant the the one night every two weeks you went out to eat. Right. Yeah. Right. Because I, I do that. I, I drink a beer at a restaurant when I go out and eat, but I limit it to that. That, to me, is casual. Right. So, yeah, I get it. So, so my I, I thought I was being casual. I thought I was not drinking above what somebody would be considered to be an alcoholic. I, I was not having any financial problems. I wasn't having any problems at home with my marriage. I wasn't mean or hateful with my kids. I wasn't any of these stereotypical things that somebody label an alcoholic was being. Mm -hmm. um, 
my friends love me. I love my friends. You know, I wasn't having these problems. So it, 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 it moved on to about 2009 and I got a job, become a police officer. And, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking in my mind chronologically, how did everything this get, is perfect, get, man. get yeah. to the level yeah. it was at? I become a police officer. So now I'm Batman, right? I'm, I'm no longer am I the man in the Hank Williams Jr. song. I'm Batman. I'm about to save this town that I essentially grew up in, and everybody knows me. Everybody calls me Cornbread. So Cornbread's going to do the best job he can do. Yep. And I they, they put me to work in nights, 12-hour shifts. Uh, Blake's familiar with how we worked. He, he was yeah. policing. And so then on my nights off, you would work two nights a week. You'd be off two. Then you would work three nights off two. It would it would turn out to where you only worked 15 days a month is basically what you did, 12 hours, 15, 12-hour shifts. So I was up at night on my off days by myself. Yeah. I had since quit coon hunt, hunting. Or, you know, if I win, it was very little. Yeah. Um, and it was very hard for me to adjust, not an excuse, it's just what it was, to, to that lifestyle. So now I'm staying up at night while everybody else is asleep. So my drinking starts to ramp up. One mm-hmm. of my, I'm sitting there watching YouTube, watching videos, watching hunting videos, and I'm drinking. I'm, I'm new to it, so the other officers really aren't my friends yet. You know, you're still... You're still getting into the swing of things here and there. So I'm drinking. My off nights, I'm drinking more and more and more. Well, it gets to the point to where those beers, I'm, I'm drinking too much beer. So I have to go to a higher content beer. So I move up to one of the ice beers, mm-hmm. right? So I start drinking an ice beer. So that goes on. Well, 2011, Mr. Bill passes away. Mr. Bill passes away, so now I'm working really hard, still functioning, still functioning, doing the police gig, doing really well. One, uh, you know, officer of the year, rising star of Paulden County, things of that nature. I'm doing fine. Nobody knows a thing. I don't even know a thing. Yeah. I don't even. I don't. I don't even know this is happening to me. You know what I mean? I, of course, I know when I'm getting drunk, and I know I'm getting drunk every night. But it's not a problem, right? Yeah. Everything. I have no issues in my life. Yeah. So, Mr. Bill passes away. I leave policing because I want to help my mom get closer to me. She only lives, what's right, Mark, 15, 20 minutes from Dallas. But I want her to be closer to me. I go back to the previous job I had. and I To I, make more money? To make more money. Exactly. Okay. To make more money. I wanted to be able to help my mom anytime she needed help financially. I didn't want that to be a burden on her. And quite frankly, I didn't want to have to worry about it myself. So if I took the job that I get, then I don't have to worry about that. I got mama back with me. My drinking. Now I'm back with my old buddies that I used to drink with show enough on yeah. a regular basis. Now I'm back to, I'm, I'm these Hank William Jr. songs, and that ramps up, that ramps up, that ramps up. 
everything's still going good. I go back to policing. In my opinion, that's that's when it got the worst, when I went back to policing the second time. Why but, did you go back to it? You know, I did have a, a good bit of friends there. I'm, I missed policing. You know, you got the cliche things that everyone says, and I'm not taking anything from that, that they want to help somebody. They want to make things better. Those, those are true. Those are there. Um, I missed, I missed fighting people. Yeah. I missed chasing people. You see what I'm saying? I truly missed that. I missed that. But that, that wasn't me sitting here. Like I'm sitting here now talking to y'all with a sincere thought process and, and being able to receive things sincerely. That wasn't me. That was still my ego, right? Not thinking right. I missed those things. I went back to policing. So here I am. I'm Batman again. And I don't know why, but things started to bother me a little bit worse this time. There was there was an instance where two young children had got out of the – their caretaker was asleep. They had a nanny. She was asleep. And they had unlocked the door. These These kids were like two or three years old. No, the door wasn't locked. They went out the back door. They went into the pool. Uh, unfortunately, they drowned. Um, anything with the children or elderly, for some reason then, I mean, rightfully so, any human, that kind of stuff is going to bother you. Yeah. But that stuff sort of stuck with me and locked on to me then. And it wasn't that I thought about it constantly, but I if I started to think about it and I had the opportunity not to, then I wasn't going to think about it, period. You know, there was an instance where a trailer had come off and, and hit a car, and it went through the car, and this elderly lady that was driving was gripping the steering wheel so hard it broke her arms off, like off of her body. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking up to that car, and, I mean, that just the look on her face, she a helpless elderly lady is has been, you know, a, a victimless crime. Yes, somebody had some responsibility to make sure that trailer didn't come off, but they didn't mean for that to happen. You know, those kind of things right there stuck with me hard. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it, you know, Mr. Bill wasn't there. Um, and my kids were getting older and I had to be more attentive to them then. Yeah. And I couldn't really process that kind of stuff in my head the way I had before. Plus, my drinking, the number one thing, my drinking was a lot worse. A lot worse. So now, we're moving away from the ice beers, and we're going to the malt liquor beers. Which, you know, the ice beers, I think the majority of them is like 5.9% alcohol. You go up to the the, the malt liquors, they're like 8% higher. Mm-hmm. So now I'm drinking these malt liquors, 16-ounce cans, like I'm drinking a regular Bud Light 12-ounce can and just hammering them, getting what I used to joke and tell my buddies what they'd call, what you what you got going on? I'm, well, I'm about to get shark-eyed. And I would initially feel that I was shark-eyed. You ever seen a shark's eyes? You know, you look at a lot of sharks, and it looks like they're looking at nothing. You know, some of them's yeah. got just jet black eyes. I would just be there, drunk, blitzed, period. 
that would be after my wife went to sleep, after the boys went to sleep. Ramped up, got worse. It got so bad that I knew I had to do something, so I chose once again to leave policing. Okay, so if I take myself out of this situation to where I'm able to drink every night like this, maybe it'll be better. That wasn't solving the issue with the with the right action. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, w- I went back to work at the same place again. Luckily, I'm 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 blessed enough that the owner of that business loves me like his brother. I assume because he's he's helped me immensely and and keeps taking me back. So that's that's a true blessing. The I go back to work with my buddies. My kids are older now. So we're on, in my mind, step 10, how's this about to affect my alcoholic career? And to say this coming out of my own mouth makes me feel like a piece of crap. But now my kids are older. They've got a license. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Daddy gets to ride around drunk now. Now, I never did have an open container with them in the car or whatever, but... Instead of saying, no, we can't go somewhere. Well, by God, we can go somewhere. Where do you want to go? You can drive. You're 16 now. So my time was shortened when I took the new job, my free time, right? Because we work long hours. Some days we might work 12 hours, some days 10. I mean, we have worked dark to dark. Yeah. So my time was shortened. In my mind, I'm saying, okay, I'm helping my issue because I'm shortening the ability, the ability to be able to drink in long at longer periods. Uh, yeah, and you look at the dynamic of that too. That that specific decision uh, while you're there, it's like you you are sacrificing the job that you loved doing that was fulfilling to you. Um, it, you know, minus the terrible things that you have to see and deal with, but it was fulfilling to you. You're sacrificing that in order to uh, hopefully. Uh, you're trying to help the. You're trying to to make it better, but right. I, I don't know, man. That's a t- that's a bad situation it's, it's, to be in. It's just masking. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're trying situation. to mask it. Yeah. So so now they can drive, and that lengthens my time back up again. You know, and, and like I said, none of these are any excuse. This is exactly what I did, and these were all conscious decisions. You yeah. See, nothing nothing happened to me to. I feel to make me drink the way I did. I've got an addictive personality and, and alcohol runs that. Yeah, right? they, well these were these were conscious decisions of an alcoholic person. Right, exactly. You know what I mean? Right. So what's dry the, the this it's a testament to the power of alcohol, period, right. is that it is it is powerful enough to change who you are and to significantly it affect those conscious decisions it's not you right it's not it's really it's not brian scott the 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 person it's brian scott the the alcoholic man you know so i mean well as, as that went on so that added back to my time yeah to be able to drink the way i did so it ramped back up it, it was this constant sort of up and then it go down and plateau at a certain point then it then it would go up even higher maybe come down but it never went under the peak of what it originally was before it went up again you see what i'm saying so it was constantly going up 
with up and downs in the middle. And I, I began to, to notice that because I was drinking so much and, and my boys were getting older, like Blake said earlier, I made it a point to always be around and do things with them. And they're, they're super attached to me, probably a little too much. I've probably held on to them a little too tight. Uh, but I, I began to notice because I was being drunk so much, they wasn't doing anything. They were sitting at home. You know what I mean? And you know what? Last year come up turkey season and we hunted nothing like we did before because I realized I was trying to hurry up and hunt in the mornings and because I wanted to get drunk at two o'clock. I wanted to start drinking at two o'clock. You know, and I my alcoholic mind, I was coming up with all kinds of excuses. 100%, you know? yeah. There's too many people hunting here. Oh, the weather ain't worth nothing. You know, this is, there ain't no turkeys here, all that kind of stuff, you know. I began to realize that, and that, that began to consume my thoughts. Was it conviction? Were you feeling convicted I about was, it? I was, definitely. I was so, so much that I had, well, I guess it was self-pity. That, that I was thinking, look look what you have done to your kids. Well, the problem wasn't look what I've done. It's look what I'm doing. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I, I had a choice to stop, and I just had to figure out how, how to do that. But the whole time I knew how to do it. So I got, I got to talking with, with a friend of mine. They may not want me to mention their name, but I got to talking with them, and they had been through alcoholism. And I talked with them, oh, probably two or three months talking. And I, and I learned that talking about it really, really helped, but it strengthened that conviction. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And there was one Saturday I was out on out at the hunting club riding around looking for deer rubs, not drinking. I never drank and drive. There was times back in my early years that I had drank and drive. I, ha I had done that, but... After I become a police, that was a no. I, I never drank and drive yeah. after that. Not to that's not taken up for the times that I did, but I was out at the hunting club looking for deer rubs, doing some early early season deer scouting, and it just I mean it just stayed on me, stayed on me, and I hit my knees out there right on the side of a pine thicket, and I asked the Lord. I said, you know, He knows what's in our hearts. So I knew he knew. I said, I need help. I started, you know, I prayed. Very short prayer, Lord, please help me. I've, I've got an issue I need you to help me with. And I knew he knew, so I didn't go into detail in my prayer. On the way home, I heard him audibly. He said, humility. And when he said that, I knew exactly what it was. I walked in the door. The old, my wife always called the old lady about slipped up. My wife and the boys were sitting there, and I told them, I have an alcoholic problem. I'm an alcoholic. I'm stopping right now. I'm going to the Lord. I'm going to the Lord anytime I need to drink. I'm giving this to him. 
And if it doesn't, if I do go back to drinking, I promise I will get some additional help. The humility, I had to see their face. And that was it. Yeah, you know, I I get it. I think people that don't know you might not get it because uh, I think people that don't know you don't understand that you are a person that other people look up to. And I think you're used to that. You carry that load, which we're going to talk about that in a minute. But, you know, everybody, your boys, us, your wife, your mother, your everybody always looks up to you and that's the reason i understand what you're saying that humility when when you've carried that load for so long i can only imagine how difficult it was to go before them and admit that you had a you 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 had a problem right you know what i mean my my wife knew it all along and she she knew it all along, and, and we would have conversations and uh, talk about it, but she, she knew it for a long time. And what a blessing it is to have her to, to, to never alter herself against me, you know what I mean, in frustration or in anything like that. She, she, she stood there and just, just watched it go through. Now, you know, it's – Last August the 8th, so it hasn't been that long. You know what I'm saying? But I'm done with it. I know I am. But yeah. When the the Lord knew how to move me to, to make my free will line up with what needed to be done. Yeah. Is that the first time you had told the boys and Ann? I'd had a conversation with the wife about it one time before. But I'm positive I was drunk when I had the conversation. Yeah. I'm positive I was. So there, there wasn't any sincerity in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and now, you know, you got that that vision in your head of what what you told them. And any time you catch the itch to drink again, and you see their faces after you told them that, right. I mean, it'd about be impossible to go, that, you know. That, that's hardcore. Yeah. That, that is, that's, that's hard. That's hard. And I, I, I think about it, there, there isn't the days that I crave a drink are becoming fewer and further between. Uh, but I, I can truly say it didn't get better until I stopped counting the days. Until I stopped counting the days. And I remembered, I talked to a guy when I was policing once before, and he had been clean off meth for like 12 years and just and talking to him. And I don't know why that stuck with me because I – I talked to him in probably 2010 or something. It was when I was very first starting police, and you know how they mm-hmm. do your FTO. They they try to put you in tough situations to see how you're going to react yep. and stuff like that. Well, they had me talking, going in and talking to these people that have lived with addiction or living, or living with addiction. And uh, I asked him, I said, wow, 12 years. Well, when when did it get better? He said, Honestly, mine got better when I quit counting the days. And I always remembered that. And like, you know, day 43, I'm like, my gosh, is, you know, Lord, yeah. you know, is this going to get better? When am I going to want to quit stopping by the store when I ride to the house? Mm-hmm. 
when am I going to quit having the thoughts that, yeah, I can drink a beer in the parking lot real quick and just ride home and the wife and kids won't know it. When, when is that going to stop? And I, I thought about that, just quit counting the days. And it, it, it's, it's gotten better. Well, that Absolutely. goes back to the principle that we teach as far as, like, if you're out running, going from tree to tree, if you're working out, going from set to set, taking things day by day, don't look back and say, how far have I came? Or don't look forward and say, man, I got to live the rest of my life with this. You, you take it, just like you said, day by day. Right. I'm going to pass the store today. I might still have the urge to stop, but I'm not going to. And I'm going to go home, and I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow. And it gets better when it gets better. Right, that, right. That's pretty. That's pretty cool to see that play out and. Uh, yeah, in a different arena. Yeah, in, yeah, in in a different battle, whole different. Yeah, a whole a whole different battle. That's a, it's a universal principle that can be applied anywhere and everywhere. And a lot of people like Brian, he was doing it, even if he didn't know he was doing yeah. it. He was doing it because it works, you know. Um, man. Uh, you know, one thing that I that that really hit me, man, was when you talked about, you know, when you finally turned it over, when you finally, you know, you were out scouting for sheds, and you said, you know, you got on your knees, and you know, you didn't have you didn't have to play, you didn't have to pray some elaborate prayer using some, uh, you know, magnificent or descriptive words in order to appeal to God. Right. You, you know, uh, it really, it really, I think, speaks volumes to me of how you say, you know, God knew what was in my heart. He knew the battle that I was fighting, and all I had to do was say, man, help me. That's help it. Help me, God. That, that's it. It, it wasn't, it wasn't some... Uh, it wasn't some appeal. It wasn't some case you had to make to him. It was, it was uh, just uh, submission and simple words, right? You know, yeah. that's all it was. I mean, yeah. I, well, I I knew I knew that's all it had to be. I felt it. You see what I'm saying? I yeah. wasn't there alone. It, I not. I just knew. Period. And yeah. I knew he was going to give give me what I needed, and it uh, it was strong. Yeah. Um, for, for somebody that's in the midst of this, uh, what would you say to them? What's helped me the most, what's helped me the most after I, I quit drinking is to talk about it, is to do this here exactly. Um, you, you get from what I was doing, you know, it, I wasn't hiding anything. But as I talk to people and give a testimony about how I prayed to God, prayed to the Lord to help me with this, I can see people light up. They're always their first reaction if they know me is I had no idea. Yeah. None at all. Uh, and it's how they light up, and that helps me the most. And then, then you get to thinking, well, man, you know, I can be a little heavy about talking about this constantly just constantly talking about it. But I let that go and thank God, thank the, thank the Lord for where he put me that day, mm-hmm. you know, because it, 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 the victory's in his name. The victory's not to me. It, I gave that burden to him. And he said, you're not going to do it no more. That helps me the most. Um, as far as actually being, being in it, 
active, actively drinking, I can't really tell you that I have any advice, man, because like I said earlier, I, I didn't know that I was doing it until things started weighing down on me. And it, it took, I'm only speaking from my perspective of having my wife and kids and my kids, especially, you know, seeing, seeing how, what I was doing was causing them not to be able to do things and not, you know, not to talk about certain things and things of that nature. So I I don't really know that I would have any advice for that. You Mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? I I think you just have to, if you want help, there's help. Yeah. I think, I think your testimony is sufficient, uh, to serve as an example of advice. And, you know, I, I think, um, I think that you know, it's 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 really great that you have identified the power of your testimony, and that you've chosen not to be selfish, and you've chosen to continue in that humility, uh, that word that God spoke to you, <clears throat> humility. <clears throat> you've chose to continue pursuing that humility. It's led you here, yeah. right? <clears throat> it it really, right. I mean, it really has. If um, if I knew you were still drinking. I couldn't have I couldn't um, consciously have you on the podcast. I mean, right. we we talk about we we made a commitment to the people that listen to this that we going, that we are going to bring the most complete people that we can find. Now, being complete doesn't mean you have fifty thousand Instagram followers. Being that none of that crap gives you credibility. You know, uh, it, it, that's the reason we we want people like you a complete person that's been through that struggle that has that is now in the place you're in now with the willingness to share mm-hmm. the hard times and the lessons from it so your testimony has led you here and will lead you no telling where else in your life well, right. i think you know for people what i see that you shared that could help other people that someone that's in active addiction that may not realize it is it sounds to me you realized it because you had a set of standards in your life, you know, that you were living up to, and you almost looked in, looked at, in the mirror of those standards and reflected yourself back, comparing to them, like you said, your kids, like, okay, now I got more time because they can drive me around, right? But I'm spending that time selfishly on my addiction and not on time with them. And you just said earlier, that was one of your standards. You're going to spend every moment that you can with your kids. And you realized in that moment, yeah, it's not an external problem. I'm not suffering at work. We got money. Our family structure's fine. But you start, it was an internal struggle. You weren't living up to your own standards of your life. So if if you're doing something and you, you deep down you knew it was a problem, but, but you didn't really think, right. you know, like the grandeur or, or the, the scale of it so to someone that thinks they might have a problem from what you shared i would say what standards do you live by and measure that with what you're doing and see how it comes out that should be able to right. give you your answer you know yeah yeah um i've always wanted to ask you brian uh and and of course i appreciate the courage that you had to share uh, that whole journey from start to finish with us, I've never heard it. I've always been curious of it. Um, a lot of aspects of that that I didn't know, and, and mm-hmm. we're close friends. Uh, but um, I've also always wanted to ask you, uh, you carry the burden 
of a lot of people you don't have to carry the burden for. You choose to do it. Mm-hmm. And you don't do it with a with a bitter heart. It would be easy for me if I ever had to walk in your shoes to be bitter about the responsibility that you have. Um, and you know, I, 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 I know, I know, I know what I know bits and pieces of, of, I'm saying this because I know you and you can share what, what aspects of it that you want to share. Um, but how have you been able to carry that burden? And, 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 and look, you work. I mean, you, you, you put in the work in order to, to carry that burden, not only financially, but also mentally and emotionally and spiritually for your family. Uh, you know, I want you to share with us about that if you don't mind it and how you do that and how you don't get bitter about it. And <laughs> I mean, it's impressive to me, man. It, you know, it's, you got to want to first, you know, I think somebody has, has to want to take care of, to take care of somebody. And, and a lot of that comes from love. Yeah. You know, it's just like like we was talking about Mr. Bill. I was shown how a man could be strong and and help people that aren't directly attached to him. So if that man can do that, right, somebody that's not his blood and, and, and take me in just like I'm his own son and my sister like he's his own daughter and, and just fill us with that kind of love, I mean, that, that was poured into me. I'm wholeheartedly, um, I've, I've been blessed, I guess, so to speak that I don't have a, a worrisome mind about what I should be doing for myself. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah. Because I think I am what I'm doing, what I'm supposed to be doing for myself. Um, every, everyone that I have the opportunity to help my family is because I want to mm. like, and it's and it's not in an egotistical. It's not a, I can help you because I can, and I want to, regardless of what any situation is. It's, to me, it's not a burden. It's a blessing. I hope that to my niece, nieces and nephews and my kids, they're seeing the same thing I seen when I was growing up. I I hope that's the steadiness is is there. The steadiness is there. Now, I, I can say that, you know, I get a little more upset than what my mama and my papa did at sometimes, but they take that in stride. But they, um, I think it's working, man. I really do. I get uh, my boys, I, I love them to death, and everybody's going to brag on their kids, but I get a, get a lot of bragging from other people about my kids, about my nieces and nephews they, that are that are always with me. So, well, it's already shown. Look at from what you've invested in me and Chad. It wasn't even yours, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I know one of your nephews just graduated Marine Corps for uh, Marine Corps boot he camp, did. and um, you know, I know uh, a lot, if not all, of of what it took for him to get through that experience, whether he realizes it or not, came from you. Um, you, you know, I I just to me. It's it's a it it takes a really special person to have that perspective that you just described to where you say I want to. It, it's a blessing to be able to set that standard to be able to be that 
you know, be that mentor, to be that person, whereas, to be quite honest with you, if I was in your situation, I mean, I think I would almost view it as an inconvenience. <laughs> I mean, just to be quite honest, and, and that's why it, uh, I guess that's why I just stand in awe of it. Right. Well, when you know, when I was younger too, I also seen seen my mother do you know help help my aunt and her kids and you know things of that nature. It's, I I wholeheartedly believe it's just from the things I was I seen and how I was raised and and the the persona that that was passed on unintentionally. You know, the the demeanor that I have about it is is I I don't look at it as an issue at all. I, and I don't I don't even look at it as hey that's just how life is. I got to suck it up and eat it. It's just it's just what it is, man. You know, I don't I don't I don't really think about it at all. You have the heart of Christ about it. That, yeah. That's exactly what Jesus would do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's all you can say about it. But 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 you know, it, it's such a stark contrast to other examples that I see of the way we treat our elderly, the way mm-hmm. we treat our uh, our grand, uh, not our grandparents, our parents. As we grow old, they grow old as a culture. As American a culture, culture. And, and it's uh, it's not it's not a hey, I'm going to leave this job I love to do a job where I can support my my aging mother or my aging father it's that it's, it, it becomes an inconvenience and we tend to brush them aside that's why it's so special um you know gosh i just i, I don't know i had well, a go ahead you know i talking about the way you know you see the elderly being brushed aside or people's parents you always hear the the kids aren't today the way they used to be in my wholehearted opinion, it's that parents aren't the way they used to be. I seen y'all as y'all grow up as young. You was a young teenager when I met y'all. You was you was younger than him. Y'all's mom and dad was always with y'all. They they y'all was a family unit. Today, when someone thinks of sacrifice, they think I'm going to sacrifice time to make money. Mm. That's not the sacrifice at all. In my in my opinion, there's no sacrifice to do. You are with your kids. You are with your family. You sacrifice time away from that job, mm. a time away from that money to be there. That's that's where the issue is. If you look if you look back how the nuclear family was in the 50s, you 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 can't tell me that you can even compare today to then. Right. So is it not the parents are different too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why would why would a kid that wasn't that's been pushed away all their life and had an Xbox set in front of them for ten years of their life not push their mama and daddy away mm-hmm. when when they're annoying them? It's a direct correlation. Kids these days are a result of parents these days. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly feel that. Yeah. I see that. I see that direct correlation. Uh, although, 
I would have never been able to identify it or articulate it if you guys wouldn't have told me that. Um, you know, I think another thing is uh, is judgment. Uh, I think we, especially, especially as Christians, I think it would be extremely easy for us to judge individuals that are living lifestyles outside of the boundaries of our moral moral and ethical guidelines as Christians, to look at them, to judge them for that lifestyle, and then say that their lifestyle disqualifies them from receiving anything from us. Does that make any sense? Yeah. It, 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 you know, in other words, how easy is it to look at someone and say, they're just freaking straight up bumming it. They're bumming it. Or, or, they're, or they're, they're homosexual. Or they're this. Or they're that. That's completely outside of, uh, of, of the way we think that we should live. And and say, uh, I ain't helping that fool, right? We don't. That ain't to. what. You, that ain't what you've done. And that that to me is what Blake nailed it earlier. He said, "You are representing Christ in a very pure and and powerful way through those actions, because you don't do that." Right. Right. Well, it's um, I don't that. Thank you, you know, but that's, I don't know that I can take that. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, well, I know, I, but, but it, it's true because right. without telling your family business, yeah. you know how this applies to you. Right. you I mean, you, yeah. you, you have to right. accept oh. that, man. Yeah. It, it's, 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 a, it's a want, not, it, it's a true want and, uh, it works. You know, God works. He, he puts in work in all of us. And he's put in a lot of work on me, and 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 I hope that regardless of of what any anyone thinks of me, those kids that one day they can see that he works, mm-hmm. and they go to him. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's not it's not about me paying someone's house payment in the end. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Come on, brother. It's a uh, that's what it's all about, man. Period. Now that's perspective, son. Yeah. That is that is some true perspective. You know what I, I, I want people to know is that the the people that have all these followers on Instagram or that are doing all these things publicly or have done these things in the past, that's who people want to follow. That's who they want to latch on to and try to get some of what they have. But there's Brian's. That, they ain't all over, but there's Brian's in your community. And you don't have to be... I mean, who we are today is a result of the time you spent with us. It's like, that that played a role. We wouldn't be the people we are today if you weren't in our life. There's things, there's ways we act, there's things we do because of you. So what I want people to know is that Folks just like you are also in their community, not 
that you know few and far between but latch on to those people quit trying to reach out and follow these big people on instagram they do have good things to offer but grab a hold of somebody in your local community that is constant that steady that's working the job may not be having this big uh magnificent thing and and gleaming out but that's steady that's showing up and if you're that person in the community then offer it to other people be open like you were to chad you know because you have you had an audience with chad like he just said it earlier man you had a legacy i was looking up to you whatever you could have said right then it could have went either way you could have said oh man i'm gonna try to try to get my dogs going I don't have time to to train up a young kid right now. And that that would have totally changed probably the course of his life, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. No, it undoubtedly would have changed the course of of my life. And, you know, without without telling my own family business, you know, I had to make a call to Brian one night. When my family fell apart, and if he wouldn't have showed up, if he wouldn't have been there for me to call, I was in Crane, Indiana at armor school mm-hmm. as a SEAL, and um, I couldn't leave. I, I couldn't. He, he had to stand in my stead. I don't know what... I don't know what my life would be like right now mm-hmm. if I couldn't have made that call. You know. Yep. I talked talked to Brian on that same night too. You know, in a in a different uh, a different way than you did. Yeah. But he showed up for everybody, the whole family. Yeah. 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 Um. So, um, you guys got a podcast now? We do, man. Me and uh, my youngest boy, Coney. Yeah, we're uh, doing a podcast. What's it called? Red-Blooded Outdoors. All right. Yeah. What's it all about? It's going to be about the American outdoor lifestyle. Uh, We're going to promote American-made products, good red-blooded American people. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, always going to be praising the Lord. That's that's the gist of it. That's yeah. what we're going to be doing. Um, hunting and fishing stories and so on and so forth. Cutting up, acting a fool. I hope that's true. But I, I hope that Cooney can get used to the microphone. For y'all that don't know, Cooney is Brian's youngest son. Um, and... Hold on, hold on. His name is Tree and Walker. Yeah, his name is Tree and Walker, which is a breed of a coon hound that Brian used to hunt, right? Um, so we've just called him Cooney his whole life. But I remember when Co- when Cooney was born. But man, that Joker! If he will, if he will just be himself. Oh, it's gonna be funny. He could literally. I'm. I promise you, I will be listening to y'all's <laughs> podcast because the the not only the the things that you guys do as a father son team, it creates stories. The life that right. you live creates stories. Just like the other day, we went turkey hunting a few days ago, 
and it literally came a freaking storm that like like it looked like a tornado was bearing down on us and me and blake we cut to the hut son and we're we're sitting in the well, well let me back it up the day before I the night before I hit Brian up and I said, "Hey man, we had had this turkey hunt planned for like two months." I said, "Hey man, it's supposed to storm tomorrow. We can push this thing off to next weekend if you want." He said, uh, "He said, no nah, man, I'm going regardless." He said, uh, "You don't have to go, but I'm going somewhere regardless." He said, "Embrace the suck, right?" And I was like, "All right, well, <laughs> this choker ain't got soft on me, obviously," <laughs> and. Uh, he shows up, me and Blake cut to the hut at the first sign of drizzle. I mean, we knew the storm was coming, but at the first time, sign of drizzle, Blake sends me a text. He's sitting on the other side of the field. He says, RTB, return to base. <laughs> <laughs> so I get up, we walk back to the cabin, and we're sitting in the freaking cabin eating bacon and eggs. And, um, and, uh, we're like, holy crap. These sure guys storm are too. out in this right now. Like, it was bad, son. Brian was saying that Cooney was hearing that rooster crowing, and he was trying to convince Brian that that was us signaling them to come back to the house. He yeah. was saying, that's Blake trying to get us to come back. I said, no, that's that's a rooster. He said, no, listen to it. And it <laughs> he'd crow again. Say, that's Blake. I said, no, that's a rooster. But you have to understand the mindset I got these boys in to, to go to the three of seven compound, that this was going to be a turkey hunt like no other. I said, what if you go with Chad? I said, if you go with Chad and Blake, they're liable to take you to the Tennessee line. I mean, this is this might be pretty rough, so be prepared. I don't know how we're splitting up. I said, you know the motto, don't die in the chair. Get hard when it – you stay hard when it gets hard. Yeah, yeah. Embrace the suck. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, we, we got drenched, and we come back, and Blake was already gone. <laughs> and you come walking out of the, the cabin dry. and uh, With his robe on and house slippers. <laughs> When we seen Blake's truck was gone, we walked up that hill and Buck said, my oldest boy, Buck, he said, Blake's gone. I said, huh. Cooney said, see, I told you that was him a crowing for us. I said, man, I pumped these boys up for nothing. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I split the groups up. The way I split them up for a reason, because I know I wasn't finna sit out in that storm, son. <laughs> Me and Chad might have blowed away. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I'll tell you, when we was about 10 minutes from that awning, when it sure enough hit, and before we got there, I thought to myself, I made a mistake sitting out here. I mean, it was lightning. The rain was cold and that wind, and it was taking my breath. Every other step, I was taking a deep breath. And I thought to myself, my gosh, I made a stupid mistake. We're about to get hit by a tornado right here. <laughs> yeah, God, I'm telling you, this won't no little squall. This was a straight-up line was. of brutal storm, <laughs> son. Yeah. So, I mean, just the stuff that you guys do, uh, if y'all just get on there, and I know you're just getting started out. You got the first episode posted, right? Just there, We're waiting on the verification from Apple. From buddy. Apple, but That's you got on. it on posted on Podbean, Spotify, Amazon, it'll be Amazon Music. Yeah. It'll be on Apple within a, a, a probably a week here. Right. Um, man, if, you know, and I know you guys will, but you guys make, 
you guys make some real awesome memories. You're out there beating the bushes, man. You're out there in the mix. Um, you guys are the real deal. Cooney's freaking humor will just have you rolling, man. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking forward to y'all just getting on there and being real and telling the stories, telling the lessons, um, uh, you know, and I think what a wonderful opportunity for you to even dig deeper into some of the stuff that we've, you know, talked about today. I mean, it's going to be an amazing platform. Um, so you guys check them out. Uh, check their podcast out. Where can people find you and follow you on social media, Brian? Uh, we'll have a Facebook up soon, but we're on Instagram, Red Blooded Outdoors. That's red underscore blooded underscore outdoors. Okay. That's, that's where we're at right now. All right. All right. I'll attach that stuff in the show notes. And, um, man, this was a, this was an awesome episode, man. Yeah, we covered the whole, the whole spectrum, I think, of, uh, of fun, old memories and, and, and just, uh, some, some deep principle based conversation. Uh, it's a hard episode for me to title cause there's so much in it. I've been looking forward to it. Guys, we've been talking about doing a podcast for a while now. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and, uh, not only, um, reconnect with me and Blake and sit down and have this conversation, but to, you know, the thousands of people that will listen to this, man. Yeah. I appreciate y'all having me. I enjoyed it. Got anything, mm -hmm. Blake? No, I just appreciate you coming out for the podcast. Uh, but, but even more for, for showing up for us as kids and all our lives. Yeah, man. Even to the day. Today. I appreciate y'all saying that. You got anything else you want to share, Brian? That's it, man. If you got a testimony out there about anything, let it go. Tell somebody. You're you're going to help somebody. Yep. I promise you. I That's promise true. you. That's it. All right, guys. This is the 3 of 7 podcast. Enough said. <laughs>